to be together and, uh, and to be joined by those uh, watching the live stream as well. We've prayed for you, even as you're in your homes, that God would meet uh, with you during, during this service. Uh, let's turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter of the book of Genesis. And before jumping into the sermon, I did want to let you know uh, that uh, the pastors met this week to discuss the growing number of COVID cases in our area and uh, the recent um, uh, comments Governor Wolf made, tightening precautions. And there are just a few things that I want to share uh, by way of update to the church family. One thing that is in light of the uh, strengthened PA face covering order, we do simply want to reiterate the importance of the precautions that we have in place uh, and encourage that uh, ongoing compliance that you're showing uh, in our Sunday gatherings. We will continue to exercise caution by meeting in two services, uh, multiple services rather than, than one service, limiting our attendance to uh, around 20 to 25 percent of the, the capacity of the space we have, cleaning before and after services and other things. Our, our plan is to continue in two services uh, with the same guidelines that we've had in place. It's highly unlikely that I'm anticipating when we will be able to gather in one service again as a church. It's unlikely that that uh, will be happening anytime soon in light of our desire to be cautious. We also made, this was a difficult decision that we made. We made the difficult decision uh, to cancel our Christmas concert this year. But just as we considered a number of different factors that seemed to be uh, the, the best way to go. And we wanted to let you know that our Christmas Eve services, which we're planning at this point on having, those services will be mass required with medical exceptions only. We continue to navigate this season. We want to invite your prayers for us as pastors as we do so. It could be that we need to make changes to Sunday mornings and to other meetings in the future, just as we've made adjustments uh, along the way, including meeting outside for a period of time and not meeting at all. Um, we continue to track developments in, uh, in future decision-making. So we're tracking any cases that might occur in our church. Thankfully, we're not aware of any COVID outbreaks in our gatherings, but we do want to prioritize the health of the congregation in what we do. We're also tracking what state and local health officials are communicating, uh, and we're seeking to encourage compliance with government directives without compromising our uh, right to gather as a church. And we're monitoring hospitalizations in our area and COVID mortality rates in our state and beyond. From, from the experience of other Sovereign Grace churches, uh, my friends in El Paso, in Juarez, but we know the challenges that can occur when local meta facilities are maxed out. And, uh, and we want to do our part to prevent potential spreader events that could affect our community uh, and its healthcare workers. So that's just a, a brief update. We mostly want to say we're tracking these things. And uh, above all, we want you to know that we thank God for your own ongoing cooperation. It is not an easy time uh, to be uh, a church member and a pastor, but I feel like we as a church are doing so well during these times. Uh, you are a joy to lead and serve. And so on behalf of all the pastors, I do say thank you. We're going to make it through. Um, we're going to make it. And, um, and so let's continue to trust God together. Let's continue to prioritize unity in Christ. Let's continue to walk in love uh, toward each other. And I also do ask, please, on behalf of all the pastors, that you pray for us as we seek to make wise decisions in these matters. All right. Genesis chapter 50, 
This is our final sermon in our series on the life of Joseph. And at the end of chapter 49, we have just seen that the patriarch Jacob has breathed his last, is the last verse of verse 49. And so now we come to chapter 50, verse 1. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it. And that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with them both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when he spoke to them. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. 
I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. May God bless the preaching of his word. It was during the, the COVID lockdown earlier this year when the lockdown was at its, uh, at its peak that people were talking about the most unused items uh, in our homes due to COVID-19 and due to quarantine life. You don't need your laptop bag or your passport or your keys or your sunglasses because none of us were going anywhere. Uh, some of the leading unused items are uh, formal attire, because everyone is living and working in their pajamas, right? Dress shoes, uh, the iron and the ironing board, apparently no one was using those. Fancy dishware, right? Because we're not having guests over. The shaver, perfume, makeup, and more. I saw one chart, this was a few months into, into COVID, that was showing the relative importance. It was mapping and charting the, the relative importance of various things in 2020. So coffee was at the top at the beginning of the year and just remained there, just straight across the, the top as the, as the unmoved factor of, of great importance. And then uh, the importance of the car at the beginning of the year, you know, was higher, but then plummeted as things were shut down. The importance of sweatpants skyrocketed uh, and, and remains very high. Unused items. Uh, we have wanted to make sure that the story of Joseph does not join your suit and your fancy dishware and your passport as an unused item here in 2020. These chapters of Genesis are all the more timely for us during this year and remain timely as we anticipate heading into a new year. And this story is one that must continue to function in our daily lives. It's in Romans chapter 15 verse 4 that it says, For whatever was written in former times, the story of Joseph, Whatever was written in former times was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's what the story of Joseph is all about. It is a message from God that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, there might be hope in our souls. And so even though this series is ending today, the lessons that we have learned from the life of Joseph must remain with us and must continue to be applied. Here are three lessons God wants us to take with us from this series. All right, three points. The beauty of forgiveness. Second, God's good providence. And third, hope for the future. 
So first, the beauty of forgiveness. We saw in chapter 50, after the funeral for Jacob, Joseph's brothers are worried that Joseph resents them and is now going to make them uh, pay back. He's going to pay them back for the wrongs that were done. It's this profound, really psychological uh, moment in the narrative. They realized the wrongs they had done to him as a teenager, throwing him in a pit, selling him into slavery. You remember in chapter 45, there was a powerful expression of forgiveness and reconciliation. But here we see that Joseph's brothers were apparently slow to believe it and they fear the worst in Joseph's dealings with them. So they come and say, hey, before he died, dad wanted us to tell you that you should forgive us. I don't think that happened. I don't think that, that Jacob said that. But their sense of guilt is there. It's palpable. You can, you can feel it. And, it's, and it is true and it remains. They speak of transgression. They speak of sin. They speak of evil. Is the language that is used is the reality that is weighing on them. And, and here's where we see ourselves. Not only have we all, every one of us, transgressed and sinned and done evil. We so often... As believers, having been forgiven by the blood of the cross of Christ, we so often go through life with the suspicion of Joseph's brothers. We fear the worst in God's dealings with us. But those fears are a thousand times more unfounded than the fear of Joseph's brothers. And Joseph, in that moment, we're told he weeps. And his response begins and ends with that appeal. It's repeated, do not fear. And in verse 21, we're told that he comforted them and spoke kindly to them, promising to provide for them, reminding them of God's good purposes. And friends, brothers and sisters, just as Joseph spoke tenderly to his brothers, so Christ our brother comforts and speaks kindly to us in our guilt. Such is the heart of Christ for us that on the basis of his substitutionary death, he declares that we have been forgiven of every sin. We see something of the glory of our Savior here. We see he is a providing Savior. He is a comforting Savior. He is a forgiving Savior. And the story of Joseph highlights the beauty of forgiveness. And if this story functions in our daily lives the way that it ought to, we will daily rest in God's free forgiveness and we will forgive others as we have been forgiven. Like Joseph, when we are wronged, we must acknowledge that we are not in the place of God. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We have seen again and again, and we see it here once more in chapter 50, the beauty of forgiveness. Second lesson to take with us, God's good providence. Verse 20 is one of the greatest statements of the providence of God in all of Scripture. 
It is where Joseph says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. An extraordinary verse packed with theological and practical truth. Joseph is able to see in every bad experience in his life, he's able to see a gracious God who is intentionally working for his good. In the hatred of his brothers toward him, in his experience of slavery and imprisonment, all through his dreams and through the famine, all things come from the hand of a sovereign and loving God who is working every difficulty for the good of his people. Is the truth contained here. D.A. Carson says this, the profundity of this reasoning, talking about verse 20, comes into focus as we reflect on what Joseph does not say. He does not say that during a momentary lapse on God's part, Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, but that God, being a superb chess player, turned the game around and in due course made Joseph prime minister of Egypt. Still less does he say that God's intention had been to send Joseph down to Egypt in a well-appointed chariot. But unfortunately, Joseph's brothers rather mucked up the divine plan, forcing God to respond with clever countermoves to bring about his own good purposes. Is not what we see. Rather, says Carson, in one event... The selling of Joseph into slavery, there were two parties and two quite different intentions. On the one hand, Joseph's brothers acted and their intentions were evil. On the other, God acted and his intentions were good. Both acted to bring about this event, but while the evil in it must be traced back to the brothers and no farther, the good in it must be traced back to God. And Carson says this is a common stance in scripture. It generates many complex philosophical discussions, but the basic notion is simple. God is sovereign and invariably good. We are morally responsible and frequently evil. This is the theology of this passage, and it is supported throughout scripture, and it could be a sermon series in and of itself. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the doctrine of the providence of God. Uh, This coming January, John Piper is coming out with a 750-page book called Providence. Uh, I can't wait for it. And what Piper has said is that Genesis 50 verse 20 is a banner flying over every bad thing that can possibly happen to the believer. And we do need to, the category of mystery needs to be front and center here. There is absolutely mystery here. And this is a truth that that needs to be communicated with a compassionate heart and with wise timing. And yet the plain teaching of scripture is that God is acting and has a good purpose for his people even in the greatest losses that we experience. Even in the greatest hardships, even in the most difficult 
years, even in the most evil actions of others done to us. No act was ever more evil than the killing of the sinless Son of God, and yet God ordained that through that great evil would come the salvation of sinners. It's, it's when we are armed with this theology, and if you're, if you're not there yet, or if you have a thousand questions in your mind, there is all the patience in the world for it, and these things can be processed over time and in community with a pastor, with a friend. But it is when we are armed with this theology that the Christian can look at Everything that comes our way and say, and sometimes we say it even through tears, but we can say it with truth. We can say it with unwavering conviction. God meant it for good. We can say that about everything that comes our way. This view of God's providence is what we desperately need, each one of us, in order to be sustained through trials of many kinds, even the worst kind of trials. Mez McConnell is a pastor who works among the poor in Scotland. Um, uh, he was here in the, in the church building once several years back. We held an event with the Gettys and the ministry that Mez McConnell was involved in is called 20 Schemes. They do incredible work uh, of church planting among the poor in, in Scotland. Mez wrote a book to minister to survivors of childhood abuse and to help all Christians understand the evil of abuse. The book is called The Creaking on the Stairs, and I'm not going to share, share details here about his experience, but he tells the awful story of the traumatic physical and verbal abuse and the severe neglect that he experienced from his stepmother from when he was two years old to when he was 13 years old. This was his childhood. And... As a young man, Mez was not able to cope with the anger, with the self-loathing, with the trauma that he knew. And he turned to drugs, he turned to violence, he turned to women. In a miracle of God's grace, Christ saved him and changed his life. And Mez found in Jesus one who understood the depth of his hurt, the depth of his mistreatment. The book is, uh, is powerful, it's heartbreaking. I was back in it this week. It, it's rich in gospel truths and it will minister powerfully to silent sufferers even in churches today. He has a chapter on the sovereignty of God and he describes there how he's been helped by the story of Joseph and the doctrine of God's good providence. If you are a survivor of any kind of abuse, I realize it may be that you're at a different place in your healing, but I pray that his testimony ministers to you in some way and that it inspires and encourages us all. This is what what Mez McConnell says. He's, he's talking about the Joseph story, and he says, while the devil was intending to destroy Joseph through the evil desires of his brothers, God used the horrors of what happened to Joseph to bless not only his own family, but a whole nation. Of course, this didn't ease Joseph's trauma, 
He still suffered. It probably didn't stop his feelings of rejection and pain. It probably stung him to the core that his own family would do that to him. But he says, a strong belief in God's absolute sovereignty over every detail of his life, good and bad, at least gave meaning and purpose to those experiences. And he says, and it's, I, it's because of what Mez has experienced in his story that I wanted you to hear it from him. He says, I know it may sound ridiculous to you right now. It might even sound offensive. But he says, like Joseph, like myself, like so many other abuse survivors in the church, we can testify to you that good can come out of your sufferings and traumas. And then he says, he says this, and it absolutely is this... This wrecked me, and I debated whether to, to share it. The example is so compelling. He says this later on. He says, if I could gather, if I could gather all of my abusers, mental, physical, sexual, and emotional, into a room so that I could talk to them all at once, I would say this, what you meant for evil, God planned for good. He says, now don't get me wrong, I would be shaking, I would be nauseous, actually I would feel sick to the pit of my stomach, but it would be completely true. And he goes on to testify how God used his pain to first draw him to Christ. And how God has used his experience to deeply minister to others. The battle for faith is not over, but Mez has joined the countless Christians who have, throughout history who have come to rest in God's good providence who have come to believe the hope-filled words of Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Friends, you can trust the providence of God. You can rest your soul in that great promise of Romans 8, 28, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. No, we don't understand it, but we believe that it's true and we rest in the good and gracious providence of God. God is purposefully and sovereignly guiding history and creation and every detail of our lives for our good and for his glory. And when it seems that nothing in your life is going right, God is in control and is working all things for good. When it seems that evil has the upper hand, God is in control and is working all things for good. This is where we take our stand as a church family. And we need to take this lesson with us from this story of Joseph. We believe in God's good providence. And we resolve that we will trust 
in his goodness to us. That's the second lesson that we need to take, that we need to take with us from this series. Third lesson is hope for the future. Hope for the future. God has made very great and precious promises regarding the future of his people. There are better days to come. And in Christ, we have the hope of an eternal promised land. There are two deaths recorded here at the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob and Joseph. And the first half of chapter 50 describes this incredible, because of its great importance, this incredible funeral for Jacob, including this procession to Canaan. And so we see all of the Egyptian elders, leaders, and servants of Pharaoh, followed then by, by Jacob's family, and then the Egyptian military is there with their chariots and their horsemen, all of them on their way to the promised land. Verse 9 says, it was a very great company. Here's one of the things that Moses, the original author, is, is doing. This trip from Egypt to Canaan is like a rehearsal of the coming exodus that would occur 400 years later. And there's a lot of the same language that is used. And in fact, the mention of them mourning in verse 10, them mourning at Atad beyond the Jordan, that shows that they, for some unknown reason to us, they took the same roundabout path that the Israelites would later take during the Exodus. This is, this is the dress rehearsal. This is the, the mini preview of what is to come in what God is doing. And both Jacob and Joseph displayed faith in their dying wishes. Jacob showed his solidarity with his father and grandfather and their wives in being buried with them. Joseph's body would remain temporarily in Egypt, but in giving directions for his bones to be taken to the promised land at a later time, he is showing solidarity with future generations and with those who would return to the land of promise. And this is where Hebrews 11 speaks of Joseph. In Hebrews 11:22, it says, by faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. That's what he's doing here. He's, he's talking about the exodus in describing what is to come. This is the promise of land that was made to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, in Genesis 12. Now Joseph comes to this point where he says, I am about to die. I will no longer be with you, but God will visit you and will bring you up out of this land into the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Place me in a tomb, but do not bury me here, he says, for I belong in another place. The people of God are going to another place. And this is how the book of Genesis incredibly Ends. God will visit you. A future generation will carry my bones out of here. And so Joseph died. He's in a coffin in Egypt. Genesis ends. It is an epic cliffhanger. And if you want season two, read the book of Exodus. Keep going through the Pentateuch. The lesson, the lesson to take with us here 
is that we too have a hope. We too have a future. We too are bound for the promised land. Our future belongs in a heavenly promised land where Christ our Savior is. Christ will come again and take us home by grace alone. Now is the time of groaning, then is the day of glory. Now is the time of lament, then will come the time of eternal life. And we live these days, even as we grieve, even as all creation groans. We live these days with invincible hope. As 1 Peter chapter 1 says, that according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to, here's your future, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This hope, this future, is the reason we do not despair. This future is the reason we can face even death itself, knowing this is not the end. Eden will be restored. The dwelling place of God will be with man. And all of the suffering that Joseph knew and all of the suffering that we experience in our lives on that day will be no more. Live for that promised land. Hope in that promised land. This is the future that belongs to all who are in Christ. And if... If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I invite you, I plead with you to come to Christ, to place your faith in him alone. These things that we've seen in God's word today, forgiveness of sins, God's good providence, hope of a better place, these things come to sinners like us only by grace in Christ, not through our good works. We can't earn it. In fact, all who rely on their own goodness and moral performance will not receive it. These blessings are available to all today who acknowledge their sin, turn from their sin, and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. Do that today and your life will be forever changed. We have spent these several months as a church in the story of Joseph. And one of the things that I'm hoping, you know, we'll remember a lot of things looking back on, on 2020. I want the year 2020 to be joined in our minds to the story of Joseph and to the ways that, that God has helped and instructed us through the story of Joseph. Joseph lived in faith. Joseph died in faith, and his story has strengthened and inspired generations of believers, just as it has strengthened and inspired us during this time. And so I plead with you, don't let this story go unused in your life. Rest in God's forgiveness. Trust in God's good providence. Hope in the everlasting life that God has for us in Christ Jesus. May we do this by the grace of God together as his people. Amen.